let's talk about the host. Now, before we get started today, I want to make a quick shout out to McGregor Movie Talk. They are a couple of cinephiles like myself who love to talk about movies. Their podcast will be linked in the description below and here on the video. Great people. Go check them out for sure, I guess. So The Host is a really intriguing film. I'm not sure why I've been on this Bong Joon-ho kick as of late, but I have definitely been on that sort of kick. And unlike his other films, this seems to be both his funniest film and his fastest paced film. I think some of the problems I had with films like, say, Mother or perhaps Memories of Murder is the films are kind of slow. And yes, they're intriguing and fascinating and full of a lot of interesting ideas and visuals, but they move at a really slow pace. And this seems to be the first film, along with Parasite, I think, that Bong Joon-ho is really grasping and has a great understanding of just how to pace a film. And this film is perfectly paced. Every single second is exactly where it should be. And so when we open our film, we open on our, our protagonist, Parker, who is sleeping at... Actually, even before we open, what, what starts the film is this absolutely beautiful scene where these two scientists are standing and they're, they're talking back and forth and the older, superior superior in the sense of like authoritative figure says to the younger you should dump out all this formaldehyde and the younger one says well we can't just dump it like that's against procedure we can't just dump it into the sink that goes straight into the Han River he said no 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 just dump it and he's like I don't think we should do that and he says this is your order you have to do it so he dumps out all of the formaldehyde cut to a couple of years later these two men fishing, and they do this really interesting thing where it's all shot from a wide shot and a really wide shot. And the two are fishing, and one of the two fishers has a cup of, like, cups some water. And they basically have this conversation about this fish, and like, isn't this kind of weird looking? But they never actually show the fish, and I think that's this really ingenious way to kind of get past, perhaps, the cost of trying to show, especially because there are so much special effects in this film. And so to get past those sort of costs quickly and efficiently without ever actually showing it is really intelligent. And I kind of wondered if this was going to be a film, uh, like so many horror films, where you never actually see the monster. Of course, one of the most ex famous examples of this in the past, say, 10 years or so is It Comes at Night, a film that probably only cost maybe a million, probably less to make, because they never actually show the monster. You really only have about four actors. It all takes place in the woods in one location, and it's a really intriguing film. And I kind of wondered if this film was going to go in a, in a similar manner because they don't show this baby monster. But cut to 2006, when the film was made, and presumably what would be considered kind of sort of modern times or where we're at now, and you see this man about to commit suicide, he's about to jump off this bridge, and he says that they see something, they see something, they see something. And, they and of course they're like, hey, don't jump off the jump, jump off the bridge. And he jumps. And there's absolutely beautiful shot. It reminds me of maybe uh, Spike Lee's She Gotta Have It All when they're shooting Spike Lee early on, and he's talking to the camera, and behind you can see the Brooklyn Bridge, and it's just absolutely, just this gorgeous scene. And it, it's very similar in that sense. 
and it just and you just see the guy falling from such a distance and it's just it's just beautiful I mean not just from the sense of special effects but just visually it just all works exactly how it should work and then we cut to our protagonist Parker and the very first thing we see of him is him sleeping which is a really intriguing way to introduce a character that spends most of the film sleeping or it sleeps in the weirdest places I couldn't help but think of the film burning and the female character who sleeps in the weirdest places or also the other characters that also sleep in the strangest places and perhaps there's a parallel between those two films or uh, even this character and the other characters in the films where you know the other characters you almost never see him sleep and yet this character is almost always asleep and so he's working the stand and his father comes and he kind of berates him like you shouldn't be sleeping on the job and then his what, what ends up being his daughter comes and they, you start to get the introductions of the family. You find out who the father is or the grandfather is. You find out who the granddaughter is. You find out our protagonist is the father of the daughter. You find out uh, that the uncle is a drunk and you find out that the aunt is this uh, Olympic level or you know high level archer and yet fails at the last moment. And you know there's this great line where uh, Parker, our protagonist, says all she had to do was let go, and she couldn't let go. And it, there's something almost um, Royal Tenenbaums-esque in this film, just in the way that there's you know, this collection of unique characters that are all part of this family, and they all have their own you know, distinctions and unique qualities, and outside of Parker, they're all incredibly successful at what they do, or at least seem to be, it, it, certainly in comparison to him, who works at his father's uh, stand and sleeps most of the time and misses his daughter's events. And of course there's an amazing scene, again, which is just incredible foreshadowing where she complains about her cell phone and she never gets signal anywhere. And this is when we get our first actual sight of the monster. Now only 10 minutes into the film, I think this is a really bold move to make. When it comes to monster films, you really have two options. Of course, there's the option I thought they were going to go with, with the opening scenes, with a sort of it comes at night sort of deal, or even a quiet place, or so many other films where they never show the monster, or don't show the monster until the very end. This helps with special effects, and it just makes everything a lot easier, and it creates a certain type of suspense. But instead, they show the movie pretty early on in the film, and first of all, this especially for film made in 2006, is an incredible-looking monster. Yes, the CGI is not as, say, great as a film made today, and yet I was blown away by the special effects, and the fact that this didn't get more recognition at the time is a little surprising to me, although perhaps because it was a Korean film and technically a foreign film, they don't really get recognized the same way Hollywood films are, but this same film came out in Hollywood in 2006, I think people would be absolutely amazed by the special effects. They're just beautiful and wonderful. And this creature has these, you know, the, the amazing mouth it has and its eyes and everything just seems so well thought out about this monster. And it looks terrifying and real and scary. And even the way it moves makes sense in a weird sort of way. And so our, our Parker <laughs> is, throws a beer out into the, the river and that's when it kind of jumps out. And starts chasing after them and this is one of the most incredible chase scenes and 
honestly, I think this is where Bong Joon-ho, even though in his last couple of films he hasn't done this, I think Chase Scenes is one of Bong Joon-ho's greatest feats. I think he's, it's something he's really good at. And of course, there are you know hundreds of thousands of chase scenes throughout cinema history, but Bong Joon-ho just seems to grasp the suspense in a way that other filmmakers don't. I think it's because it's simultaneously realistic, and yet there's still a sense of suspense. There's still a sense of running away. Unlike most chase scenes, it's not like people doing parkour and doing flips and jumping all around and just moving at paces that just seem unrealistic or sort of ridiculous. The suspense in these films, unlike those where it's, you know, based on, oh, look at all these cool you know, tricks we could do and all these cool things, this is based on the suspense of what if you were in this situation? I think that's something Bong Joon-ho is very interested in his films. And of course, uh, the character who plays Parker, who is, seems to be in pretty much all of Bong Joon-ho's films, except for Snowpiercer and maybe Okja, which are interesting. His only uh, two films I know of that are in, completely in English. And he always, or, or Park, the guy who plays Parker, I can't remember the actor's name at the moment, always plays sort of maybe a little bit bumbling, maybe a bit of a fool, but also somewhere near normal. He's a very normal character. In fact, if you, if you really think about it, he's not that much of a bumbling fool. It's just relative to what we consider bumbling fools in, in cinema. He's bumbling. But really, he's very average. He's very normal. You just don't often see normal characters in cinema because people don't want to see themselves in cinema. They want to see something greater. They want to see the Thors, the Iron Mans, right? They want to see the best of the best. Yes, they have flaws, but they want to see better versions of themselves. They don't want to see normal. They don't want to see average. And that's the kind of characters Bong Joon's most interested. He finds normal characters and puts them in extraordinary situations. And so he, he's running back and he and there's this amazing moment where the daughter walks out, as, as there's so many amazing moments in this film, the daughter walks out of the food stand and she's standing there and it is a nice uh, shallow depth of field as they do a lot in this film. And so you really the only thing to focus on is her face and she's kind of just standing there in almost Igmar Bergman fashion. And she's pulled away, right? she's whisked away by her father and there's this amazing runaway and they trip and then uh, there's some amazing uh, camera work here where you really only see Bong Joon-ho and he grabs what you assume to be her arm and pulls her along and then we pull out to a wide and we see that he's actually dragging someone else's kid and so he turns around and he sees his daughter get snatched by this the host if you will and you see him hopeless useless of course a little bit early on he he tried to fight this monster which just shows his uh Courage, but also perhaps his stupidity, much like the, the sergeant who fought with him, the American sergeant. Maybe not the best idea to go on with, like, <laughs> right, just a rod, although, again, foreshadowing to the end of the film. But it shows that he's willing, even before they capture his daughter, that unlike most of the people in this film, he doesn't run away. He's not someone who runs away. He's someone who faces situations head on. But his daughter is taken away, and we assume that she's dead. And so we cut to what, what's basically just this, this uh, gym or, you know, some, some sort of for a community center where they're keeping all of the people that ran away because they're terrified of some sort of infection. And you see someone in a hazmat suit, which is never a good thing. And they say, okay, you're going to get on these buses, you're going to go to this hospital. And they start asking questions because, of course, you know, hey, 
this monster just happened. I want to know what's going on. And the guy in the hazmat suit says, the news will explain it, which is absolutely fascinating. I think one of the big themes of this film, it's about the news, not only Korean news, but American news, but you know, just news in general in the media and how they shape incidents and how they sort of shaped incidents instead of the government officials or instead of the people who supposedly know what's going on, telling people what's going on, they rely on the news and they force them to rely on the news because they want to keep their stories straight. They don't want to give different stories. And he turns to the news and they can't seem to find anything. And so they're like, oh, we'll just forget it. We'll send them off to the hospital. And throughout this film, and this is one of the first points you start to get this, is most of what you learn about the monster or the, the virus that's going on is from the news. It's not actually from people talking. It's not from dialogue. It's on a TV or a radio or somewhere in the background, which is interesting because that's often how we also get our own information. We hold things so dearly, and yet we're not re reading you know, periodicals or researched papers. It's just what we hear on the news or you hear someone say or someone who saw someone who saw someone said this or that or the other. And I think Bong Joon-ho's kind of playing that. They're playing with our expectations and beliefs and desires to understand and know. And what's strange about this film is the viewer actually knows what's going on from the very beginning. We know because of formaldehyde that this monster was created, which is an interesting way to make the film because at this, at this point it's no longer a mystery. It's not about what you know. It's about what you believe. And throughout the film, the viewer themselves, even though they know the truth, are still constantly questioning it. You're asking yourself, is there a virus? Does it infect people? Are these things going on? Of course, we later learned that no, it's not the case. There never was a virus. It was all sort of propaganda, but not also propaganda, but the perpetuation by medias because they want to make money. They make a mountain out of a molehill, if you will. And I think it's it's an interesting way to deceive the viewer in a very intelligent way because they give you Bong Joon-ho gives you the fact at the very beginning of the film, it's the very first thing he does. He says, this is how the monster is created. And yet you spend the whole film questioning, wait a minute, is that how the monster was created? Is there a virus? Are there these other things going on? And it's absolutely brilliant. And so uh, Parker and his whole family is taken to the hospital. And this is where Parker gets a call. And he, not only does he get a call, he gets a call from his daughter. Now, we never show that we have yet to see the daughter at this point, and so we don't actually know if the person calling is his daughter or if he's going through a bit of some sort of psychosomatic drama or what have you. In the next scene where the family is insisting to the authorities and everyone involved, and as they do throughout the whole film, saying, hey, look, our daughter is still alive. This woman is still alive. We think she's in some sort of sewer. You need to do a search. You need to do something. And they say, oh, no, you're crazy. Like, have you checked his psychology, right? Have you checked his brain for, like, any abnormalities? Or, you know, have you done a, a psych review or anything of that nature? And they're like, no, not yet. And that's kind of, it constantly goes back to the one with the information is what is often seen as the fool. It's Parker, even though he's the one who's most of the time most informed and knows what's going on. Because he is perceived as a fool, no one believes him, and it's perhaps one of the great tragedies of his life. And so, pretty much fed up with authorities and hospital figures, and no one really giving them any answers, they escape. And again, it's just one of those another amazing chase scenes where it just feels like real people running away, and they're picked up by, I don't know, uh, this group of criminals. It's not really clear who they are, although there is an absolutely 
incredible scene after they're picked up where they're haggling with uh, the grandfather and the grandfather is forced to basically give up everything he has, which is a really fun uh, moment and I think just kind of points to Bong Joon-ho's humor that I, I can understand why it doesn't fully translate into a, a common American humor because you don't often see, I mean, even think of, of Parasite or Mother or even uh, Memories of Murder, these really dark films, there's moments of humor in them. And it works in a really strange and interesting man way and makes for a, a genuinely fascinating experience. And I'm not really sure how to, um, how to best sort of uh, handle that. Because it's it's a really dark thing going on, and yet there's these sort of humorous moments, and it's not the the laughing of you know when I watch a really funny movie, and you're like, you know you're cracking up. It's more of like this uh, like this shouldn't be funny, but it is sort of humor, which is something Bong Joon Ho loves to do in his films. And so they basically take everything the grandfather has, and they drive up to this quarantined area. And they basically just get in real easily. <laughs> and Parker points out, you know, what's the point of having, or perhaps one of the other family members points out, what's the point of having these barricades? Pretty much anyone can just get in. Like, you just have the right, you know, type of car, and you just drive right in. And so they get in, and they get down to the sewers, and they are fumbling through the sewers, looking for Hansu, their daughter or niece or granddaughter, I guess, depending on the perspective. And I think it's interesting. This is something that Bong Joon-ho does. It's, it's very uh, parallels Parasite and a lot of Bong Joon-ho's in this place, which it's normal people going after, you know, this incredible thing. And although to uh, perhaps a viewer, it feels like you sent these bumbling fools on this mission, these are what real people would do. These are actually how ordinary people would react in these situations. And yeah, they would go after their you know their family member with all they had even if they weren't they right these aren't experts who you know, are former military and cia and fbi and you know they this person has this expertise skill and this person has that expertise skill it's just a bunch of people who are trying to survive in the world and are willing to do what it takes to find their family member and as they're rummaging through the sewers they kind of hear this noise and they fire a couple shots and we cut to this brother and these, these two brothers, one's probably eh, 18, 19, 20, another one maybe like 16, 17, and the other's probably six, seven, maybe eight years old. And we follow them as they go out, out of the sewers and into this food shack place. And the kid's like, can I take the money? And they're like, no, 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 we're not here to take the money. We're here, we're, we're committing siru, siru. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. But basically the idea of CRE is very similar to what gleaners do in uh, most of Europe or what many Americans do uh, in, in certain parts of America, which is basically the idea that once the farm is sort of picked through, if you know there's still food on, you know, if there's still food in the farms or what have you, the rights go to you know, the hungry, the poor. Now, obviously, we don't really have that in America. And he says, well, this isn't a farm. He says, well, this is modern Siri. And this parallels what uh, the grandfather says about Parker just a couple 
of minutes later where they say that, well, actually Parker isn't biologically connected to the rest of the family, which sort of makes sense because the other two kids are much closer and very successful and are constantly attacking and, and psychologically and, you know, with violent words, Parker. And while these two are sort of successful, she is a successful archer and he went to college, although the irony, of course, is that he is the, the one that went to college is the only one without a job, which seems to be something that Bong Joon-ho is very interested in, and in a lot of his films, especially Parasite, although uh, there's something similar, I believe, in Memories of Murder, and there might even be something in Mother about this, which is Bong Joon-ho's fascination with college and the idea that we sell college as a sort of American dream, if you will. If you go to college, you'll be successful, and yet... Uh, as, as one of the characters points out later, he says, oh, you have this great job, you make 56, you, know, you make four, you must make 40 or $50,000 a year. And he's like, yeah, but I'm $60,000 in debt. Now, of course, college tuition rates are different in Korea than they are in America, but it's a, it's a similar idea. And it's sort of tragic that often the you know, person who went to college never seems to find success. And he's poking holes at this idea that, well, if you just go to college, then you will be successful. That's all you, that's how you climb the ladder to success. And that rather, well, success is really, it's predetermined, especially in places like Korea or in the United States, where if you come from wealth, you're pretty much going to be wealthy. And if you don't come from wealth, it's very hard to climb up that ladder. And so the grandfather explains the story of how they found Parker, which Parker was doing the same thing these, the older brother and younger brother were doing, which is Siuri. And the irony of the situation is the uh, biological son and daughter are falling asleep during this. It's, it's almost parallels, sort of, uh, I think, of a, a Tempest, Shakespeare's last film, in which he is telling his daughter the story of their life, and she's falling asleep. She's, they're literally being bored to death by the story of this man's life. And this is when they see the monster, and... I'm not sure if it's because of emotions or what reason they fire at this beast, which obviously does not work, and they tip this silo, food stand, whatever it is, over, and they all run out of there, and they're all shooting at it and attacking it, and it pretty much does, it does little to nothing. And so the host ends up running away, if I suppose that's what you call it, or the monster, what have you. And... The three men are shooting their shots, and they run out of bullets, and uh, Parker says, oh, I have one more shot left. And so the grandfather takes the gun and says, run. They're like, no, 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 and he says, run. And so they're all running away, and the monster comes back onto this sidewalk thing right next to the river, and it's chasing the grandfather, and grandfather's, you know, he, he's waiting for his one shot. He's going to shoot him right in the mouth, right, and this, this fascinating, weird mouth-looking thing. And he pulls the trigger, and we cut, and you just hear a click. And at that moment, exactly after you hear that click, you cut to Parker, and he's counting on his hands. And at that moment, you realize that Parker's miscounted, which is a brilliant way to create this sort of exposition and this suspense at this exact moment. And of course, the father is killed at this moment. And this is where you see. Uh, the actor that plays Parker, probably in, in one of his best performances to date, in just this 
incredible moment of anger and fear and terror all bundled up to one as he is cradling his dead father's head. The host has gotten away yet again and all seems to be lost. The police come up and pick him up and the other two siblings run away. Then we do something interesting which isn't done up to this film which is this group of family are together are now split apart and we follow the story of the son and the daughter as they both try to capture the monster on their own. And what's interesting about it is it's not that one goes off and does their own thing, then another goes off and does their own thing. It sort of builds upon each other. First you have the son who sort of breaks into this office to find her location and he does end up finding it, although again another amazing escape scene when these people are trying to capture him and he ends up falling off of a bridge, which I suppose kind of parallels what happens at the beginning. But right before what we think is his death, he texts the address or you know, the bridge, Wahong Bridge, probably pronouncing that wrong, to his sister. His sister gets that text. She goes to the bridge and that's where she sees the monster and she's attacks it. And of course it parallels how the story began, which is she refused to let, she didn't let go of that arrow in time and lost and only got a bronze medal from I don't know the Olympics or whatever sort of event it was and she's pulling the arrow back and she lets go too late and it knocks her over and then we cut to Parker who is you know being experimented on by these uh different scientists and you see him starting to cut into his brain and do all these different things and there's this moment where there's kind of this translation between this American doctor and Parker and they're talking back and forth and then the American doctor and his uh, Korean doctor go to the side and that's when the American doctor tells the Korean doctor that there is no virus there has never been a virus the sergeant who you know was uh, the first victim of this plague or virus or whatever it is seemed to uh, not actually have a virus and there's been no confirmed cases of it and even though we knew from the very beginning this to be the case it's still a kind of mind-blowing moment for the viewer even though we know for a fact that it was from the formaldehyde at the beginning of the film we knew all of the answers we knew the truth from the beginning as a viewer at least myself was deceived throughout the film and thinking there actually was a virus and, and it's not until we have an american doctor tell a korean doctor that this virus doesn't exist that the viewer actually goes oh yeah the virus doesn't exist. And that's when Parker gets the phone call, or at some point near here, he gets the phone call telling him the address that, or right, the, the phone call that the sister made to him right before she was attacked and presumably killed by this monster. And so he makes this fascinating escape where he, you know, he basically grabs one of the nurses and, and you know, this moment of confidence that we haven't seen from him before and perhaps I guess some could say well like he's not really this common person how can he suddenly do this but you buy into it in a moment and you love it and you're like yeah well he's fighting for his family his dead father his daughter all these things and he basically grabs um what like a shot of his own blood and he's like I'm going to inject this into her I'm going to inject the virus into her and what's absolutely fascinating in that moment is that even though some of these doctors know that there isn't a virus, or even those that don't know that there isn't a virus, are, are and even though the protagonist Parker knows that there isn't a virus, he is able to use the threat, right? The, 
the media has made such a thing of it that it's been sold as an actual threat that he's able to get away. And while this is going on, there is uh, simultaneously these protests going on about how America is going to solve this problem with Agent Yellow, as they call it, which, of course, how can you not think of Agent Orange? In many ways, this film seems to be a war film actually about the Korean War, what's in America often talk about, the unknown war. And you can see a lot of the parallels there where, you know, America doesn't really do anything or talk about it or, you know, consider it part of history, and yet to Korea it affects them a lot. This is their history. This is how they, and of course they're going to protest this agent yellow and that's uh when we cut back to the two siblings who end up both being alive which is pretty great and they're kind of struggling through traffic and these different protests to get to the the daughter and all of this time we you know we're uh, every now and then cutting to the daughter trying to figure out how to get out and she, and uh the younger brother ends up coming going down with her and she kind of takes care of him and she's you can see that she's pretty much doing it all of herself. There's a lot of points I, I see in the film that I wonder if, oh, is she going to get out on her own accord? And that, you know, that the only way really for her to get out is her to do herself, you know, to kind of pull herself up the ladder, if you will. And the last we see of her, she is running away from this monster. And she jumps into this hole, but it's unclear if she's eaten or not. And so it's really interesting because the final scene of the three siblings they're fighting this monster and we as the viewer and them as the family don't actually know if she's alive or not and actually what's, what's even more interesting is Parker actually does get down to his lair he does you know, I, you think at this moment oh he's gonna save the daughter but the daughter's gone at this point and yeah he still believes he still has hope that she has not been ingested yet or However, it eats hasn't like fully eaten this person yet. He has an incredible amount of hope as he has throughout the whole film. And even though the siblings don't even know this information, they still fight the monster. They still fight believing that they are fighting for a good cause, fighting for the monsters. Not, not really about his death, but it's really about the life of the daughter. And it's an incredible action scene and really fun and realistic in the way that it's, you know, it's not just a bunch of people with machine guns just running around killing people. These feel like, again, ordinary people doing ordinary things. And there's this incredible moment where uh, the college, former co the college grad, I guess, is throwing these Mazatov cocktails and they're missing, they're missing, they're missing. He has this final one and the monster's just been dumped with gas by this homeless man. And he goes to throw it and you think, oh, this is it. And he drops it. And not only is that money moment funny but it feels real but when he drops it the the archer comes in she grabs a bow and she shoots and the guy is on flames and it's running around and it's running towards water and you're like oh no it's gonna get away and that's when parker comes in with this pole basically paralleling a pole that he used at the beginning of the film and stabs it right in the mouth killing the monster and all this is happening while agent yellow is being released people are coughing up blood they're bleeding out of their ears and they're there in this beautiful fog and paralleling again at the beginning of the film Parker reaches in and grabs the hand of his daughter and this boy who she's carrying with him at that moment we realize that the daughter is dead all of this everything and she's dead and she and 
Parker goes to the young boy and asks, you know, and tries to wake him up, and he opens his eyes. Again, paralleling the grandfather and the father, how the grandfather found the father stealing things and taking him in as his own, the father it does the same thing to this boy. And that's how the film ends. And they're sitting in this food stand in the middle of winter, and they're eating dinner, and the news is on. And they're, they're, right, they're basically trying to explain this virus, and they're talking about, oh, propaganda, and this and that and the other. And the boy says to the father, you should turn that off. And he does. And that's how the film ends. And despite being a really dark film and a lot of death, I think it ends on a hopeful moment. Now, I don't think what it's suggesting is to ignore the truth, ignore facts, or, you know, fake news by any means. I think what it's suggesting is that often we're given the truth at the beginning. Just like in this film, we're getting the truth at the very beginning of the film. We know exactly why the monster's made and how it's made. And yet, even a viewer who is told all these truths still is sold into believing all of these lies, much like the making of a film itself. The film is just a set of lies that we put together and sell as a truth. But by turning it off, by being with his son, and as the son says, you know, sort of focusing on just eating, by being present, being in the moment, we can live happier and better lives. So out of 10, I would give this film a 9 out of 10. It's my favorite Bong Joon-ho film. It has a lot to say about a lot of things. It is incredibly entertaining. Performances are incredible. And to be honest, if given the opportunity, I would probably watch it again.